0: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald-Times in Bloomington. Today we're going to talk about national and local health care issues. Joining me in the studio is co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we have two guests with us today. Rob Stone is an emergency room physician who lives in Bloomington. He's also the medical director of the Community Health Access Program Clinic. And Nancy Wooler is here. She's the Health Projects Coordinator for the Community and Family Resources a Department of the City of Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana dot edu. Welcome to uh, everybody, Rob, Nancy. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for being here. Mary welcome Katherine. back to
1: you. Thanks. I, was I wasn't here for I was here last, last week. week yeah. Well, I know, but I wasn't here to <laughs> welcome you, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it a week late.
0: Thank you very much. Nice to be back. Um, this is a big topic, big topic locally, a big topic nationally, and uh, I know that you know, we're doing this, the timing of this is that next week is, is national cover the uninsured week, May 1st to the 8th, and uh, Rob, I think you have a proclamation from this morning.
2: The county commissioners made a proclamation, or I guess they issued a proclamation this morning, and I'll read it if you can bear with the uh, the whereases that are uh, part of all this sort of thing. Whereas nearly 46 million Americans, one out of every seven, do not have health care coverage and whereas eight out of 10 people who are uninsured are in working families and whereas there are more than eight million children in America without health coverage and Whereas uninsured Americans live sicker and die younger than those who are covered. And as costs continue to rise, fewer individuals and families can afford to pay for coverage and fewer small businesses are able to provide coverage for their employees. And whereas the Monroe County Board of Commissioners recognizes the urgency to put politics aside and take meaningful steps towards, solution, towards solutions to one of America's greatest problems, now therefore we, the Monroe County Board of Commissioners, do hereby proclaim uh, May 1st through 7th, 2006, as Cover the Uninsured Week in Monroe County, signed by the commissioners Pulling Kilmer, and Kiesling.
0: All right, and uh, it's, a, it's a county issue, it's a city issue. Nancy, do you wanna talk a little bit just about uh, you know where the city fits into all this?
3: Well, one of my responsibilities at the City of Bloomington is to insure uninsured children and pregnant women into the State Children's Health Insurance Program, which is Hoosier HealthWise. That is a federal and state program. So the City of Bloomington is an outreach and enrollment center, as are other agencies in the community. Um, and also um, I've been working with trying to get the elderly onto the Medicare Rx program. So I've uh, partnered with the Bloomington Adult Community Mm -hmm. Center, which is part of the city of Bloomington Parks and Rec Area 10 Agency on Aging, and we've been doing sessions um, to at least get the elderly enrolled into the Rx program for mm-hmm. Medicare.
0: Not the easiest thing to do. Mm. It's horrible. <laughs>
3: it's very confusing, and it's even confusing for us when we sit down with them, some of the computer glitches, and to think that the elderly you know, are responsible for signing up on their own is just overwhelming. Right.
1: And if they don't or don't do it correctly, it's
3: punitive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And right now we're in a crunch because they need to enroll by May 15th or they do pay a penalty. So the four sessions that we've had have been booked up and we're going to have to do another one probably on Friday, May the 12th, to mm-hmm. get um, seniors some help in enrolling. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. We, uh, this is is a large issue, and I know Rob's been talking uh, to various groups around town about sort of the the macro issue of health care in this country and the problems that people who are uh, uninsured or underinsured have. Um, you know, I, I'm going to start this in sort of a weird way because I, I've just gone through some health issues, and I'm, I want to explain... Sort of why I'm one of the fortunate ones. I guess I'm one of the six out of the seven. But you know, I just had a recent, uh, fairly serious surgery, and my health condition was caught in a physical that was paid for by insurance. So if I was uninsured, there'd been no physical, and who knows what would have happened down the road. Um, I'm starting to get bills. For the surgery now, I'm actually starting to get the statements that are sent to my insurance company because I have an insurance company. And, you know, so far, they're in the $12,000, 13000 range, and I know there are many more to come. Mm-hmm. So, you know, without insurance, it would be a real stretch to be able to have had the care that my insurance allowed me to find out that I needed to have in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm one of the fortunate ones, but I can see that if I had, if I had no insurance— um, it would have been a dramatically different situation for me in terms of, of my health and my health care, and probably my the longevity of my life. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, sort of an I'm bearing it all here, Rob. <laughs> that's a good lead-in. <laughs> yeah. So you, I mean, you've heard, you know, stories like this. You know the whole situation. So sort of set the the uh, the, the table for us. Okay. The Institute of
2: Medicine is a very conservative, reputable, prestigious organization, which is a consult, a private consulting group to the National Academies of Science. And they released a study about two years ago uh, where they estimated that 18,000 people a year die. You know, how many World Trade Centers is that? 18,000 people a year die purely because they don't have health insurance coverage. And so you're kind of up close and personal with how that how that works right now. That works out to 49 people a day. I mean, it's it's really pretty incredible. I mean, this this would make lack of health insurance the fifth leading cause of death in the United
0: States. Wow, that's that's sort of a uh, putting it in perspective, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so what are what are the answers? I mean, I you know we we we've, we've, you're starting to frame the problem. Uh, before we get to, to your solutions, I mean, you're framing the problem. That it's getting worse, correct? Well,
2: the problem's getting worse. The number of uninsured continues to rise and even probably larger is the number of un- underinsured. Mm-hmm. And that's defined in various ways. But basically people whose medical expenses exceed 10 percent of their income. More and more people are are choosing or being forced into these very high deductible mm-hmm. uh, policies, mm-hmm. and they can then end up facing financial ruin if they do uh, experience high costs. And, and and a lot of these policies that are felt to be catastrophic are, are only good for certain catastrophes and not for others.
0: Mm-hmm. So um, in thinking about you know, how our country is set up to deal with this. I I know you have some ideas for some changes that need to occur or should occur. Um, Sort of start us down that path.
2: Well, the biggest barrier to change, I think, are that there are a number of myths that hold us back from really understanding what the problems are and and the first one we've already kind of alluded to there there's kind of a myth that maybe things really aren't so bad or that somehow the uninsured do get care or that you know somehow there's a safety net that takes care of people and I, and I think we've already kind of covered that and I work in the emergency room, which is part of the safety net. And so I, I see it really literally on a daily basis. I see people who have uh, waited to come in, uh, even for little minor things like you know, a sprained ankle, that they waited a couple of days because they didn't have the money to get it uh, x-rayed. They were afraid of the cost. And then it turns out they've been walking on a broken ankle for a few days. And then at the other extreme, people who have... Um, who come in with heart attacks and strokes and things like that, all because they didn't take their preventative medicines and because they didn't, you know. Now, and now it's extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the under the, we've got to understand that the safety net is, uh, well, that's why they call it a net; it's full of holes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we also have to understand that we are already paying an incredibly large amount of money for the health care we get, and. People so often say that, well, we can't afford to cover the uninsured and yet in the United States, we right now are spending per capita twice as much as all the other industrialized wealthy nations. We're spending uh, in some cases almost three times as much as the other like the European nations. We're spending a huge amount of money and yet we're not getting very much for it. We All those other countries, I should say, uh, all cover 99 to 100 percent of their population, and and we're missing about 17 percent of our population. And all those other countries have better health statistics than we have. They have better life expectancy. They have better infant mortality. Uh, By any way you would measure health care, we don't really have the best health care in the world. And that's one of the biggest myths, I think, that people believe is that somehow we have the best health care in the world. No, we we certainly have some of the best health care available in the world, and we do some of the best research in the world. the World Health Organization uh, studies uh, and rates the healthcare systems around the world, and they consistently rate the United States healthcare system about 38th in the world. I mean, it's unbelievable, just behind Costa Rica.
0: What if What does Costa Rica have that we don't? No, don't answer that. That's okay, a little levity in a serious situation. Um, our phone numbers today: eight five five zero eight one one or eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. Or you can send your email to noon at indiana. edu. We're talking with Rob Stone and Nancy Woolery about uh, healthcare issues, both locally and, and nationally, and actually worldwide, even.
1: Let's, can we back up for just a second? I want to talk about the safety net concept just a, a little bit more because I've always been under the apparent misconception, and I'm sure other people have too, that if you go to, let's just keep it local, Bloomington Hospital, and you present with some, any kind of illness, let's say you present at the, at the ER and you're having a heart attack, well, you're not going to send somebody home exactly. because they don't have a health insurance card.
2: That's exactly right. We are the one place you can depend on in the emergency room that we will see everybody any time of day, you know, 24-7, and we will never refuse anyone care. And that's good. However, we send a bill.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And okay.
2: And people know we're going to send the bill, and so people hesitate to come to see us, and we're not set up for preventative care at all. Mm-hmm. yeah and so the safety net really has a lot of problems
1: mm-hmm. and i and I understand then that when people get the bills that 's what leads to a lot of bankruptcies is just you know they everything was going along paycheck to paycheck, but a, the, a health crisis is, is kind of the deal breaker for a family on a, on a very tight income. Mm-hmm.
2: So. And bankruptcy is something that we might want to talk about a little bit. There was a widely reported study a year ago February in the journal Health Affairs about bankruptcy and it came to the conclusions that other studies before it have as well, that about half of all personal bankruptcy is related to medical problems and medical bills. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about that particular study that is, I think, particularly frightening and, and very counterintuitive is that when they looked at these people who had declared bankruptcy because of medical problems, 75% of them had insurance at the time they got sick. 75% had insurance. And you have to ask again, why is that? Well, partly that is because People without insurance tend to not even have enough assets to protect in bankruptcy and so they don't go through the procedure of filing for bankruptcy. They just don't pay their bills and go on down the road. But 75 percent of the people who declared bankruptcy had had insurance at the start but either they lost their insurance as a result of their illness and this is a big problem because if you can't work – because you're too sick, you will eventually use up your sick days or whatever mm-hmm. and you will lose your insurance. And uh, and that is just uh, you know an inevitable way because our system is mostly based on employment. The people who do have insurance, uh, other than the people who are covered by Medicare and Medicaid, most of them, it's through their work and they've got to be able to go to work. And if they mm-hmm. get really sick, they can't go to work. They lose their insurance. And then the other is people who have these uh, – Policies, which they believe are catastrophic, but they don't really help in a catastrophe. And the average out-of-pocket expenses that led to bankruptcy uh, in this study was $12,000. And uh, it doesn't take long to rack up that kind of money, unfortunately.
0: Uh, I want to get to Nancy in a a minute because she's part of the safety net and the city's part of the safety net. Uh, But we have a phone call. So let's go to Andy on the phone. Andy?
5: hi how you doing good okay uh two uh uh comments and questions on this is uh uh I understand exactly what uh uh what the doctor was talking about at this point uh, we went through a time where um we had insurance and uh everything was uh was going well as as, as long as we weren't getting sick very much because it covered a lot of catastrophic uh... uh... problems but it didn't cover the uh... the ordinary or the middle of the road kind of illnesses uh... we had a couple of children that uh, uh... were getting constant uh... ear infections and such and that was one thing that the insurance did not cover was office visits uh... and you know it doesn't sound like a big thing but you know uh... sixty to eighty bucks a, a pop uh... and you may have to go in two or three times uh that that's a that's a big chunk out of a family's income and uh i think I think one of the problems is is that we are too reactionatory in in the type of medicine that we do and not preventative now i mean I think that's beginning to change a little bit but it it's slow and coming and especially with the insurances they uh you either have a a type of insurance that covers uh, massive uh, catastrophic uh uh, problems, but doesn't cover the uh, everyday of the road stuff. Or uh, you have uh, an HMO or something that that covers the uh, the everyday office visits, but doesn't does nothing for the uh, uh, for the cancer or for the uh, uh, cardiac patient that comes in and has a catastrophic uh, uh, problem. Uh, the second one is, uh, with, with the elderly. Uh, I just had first hand experience at that. Uh, my father recently had a, uh, uh a heart attack and, uh, uh, was sent to convalescence. And, uh, uh at that time he wasn't, he had a multitude of other problems going on. Uh, and, you know, this, this is just how funny the the, the system works. Um uh, he had to be taken on over to the hospital from convalescence. Uh, at that point, I get a call from the from the convalescent administrator saying, uh, "Geez, you know, uh, how long do you think your dad's going to be in there?" Well, I absolutely don't know. I'm not a doctor. But uh, <laughs> the thing about it was, they they said, "Well, you see, his his bed is covered by Medicare, and he can't be at two places at the same time. So we're going to have to have you clear his stuff out." So we had to go on over there that day, clear stuff out. Hopefully, uh, no one would come in and take away the Medicare bed because they were they were checking beds, is what they were doing. Uh, as it turns out, we got a call about three days later saying, "You know, hey, do you think he's going to be in any more than that? Because we've got a person that's that's the, you know wanting the bed." Uh, and at that point, uh, we were. Very well prepared to pay about 165 dollars a day mm-hmm. to keep that bed. He wasn't in it. He wasn't <laughs> there. But just to keep us on the list, to where when he got out of the hospital, he had some place to go. And and to me, I mean, my my brother is a uh, is a pathologist in in Vancouver, and and he looks at our our or medical system, and just shakes his head and thinks, my gosh, you know. Uh, what in the world is the is the problem here? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to comment on that and uh, see what see what your comments are. All right, so thank you. Mm-hmm.
2: Well the ear infections is is such a good example because if you 're a parent and you only have catastrophic coverage and it 's not going to cover visits for ear infections, then unfortunately you 're really put in this terrible bind of deciding whether to risk a sixty or eighty dollar office visit to get or, or waiting another few days and and of course, if you don't get the ear infections treated adequately. It may affect the child's hearing, which then may develop, affect their language development and on and on and on. I mean, it's just such a bind that we put people in. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight 285 9348 and noon
1: at indiana.edu. I'm curious. Um, you know, clearly this is a problem, and I think it's been recognized as a problem for as long as I can remember. And yet there seems to remain a, a lack of uh, will on the part of the people to put pressure on politicians to get this done, uh, to— find out some kind of a system that would work when the Clintons tried it. It was almost, you know, the end of the road for them, it was obviously uh, not, a, not a popular move in a, in a lot of circles. But uh, that, again, seems counterintuitive. And I just wonder, I'd like both of you to comment on what you see as uh, the reason for a, a lack of uh, political will behind getting a solution to this problem.
3: Well, I think we've tried, um, I know at least at the state level, to try to get more money to cover uninsured people. Um, When the Hoosier HealthWise program started, they did raise the um, income eligibility so that more children could be covered. A couple years ago, they actually started writing legislation to try to get coverage for the parents who were uninsured. Mm -hmm. Well, because of the, the budget deficit, you know, that just kind of fell through. Um, But I, you know, getting back to the emergency room, I talk to people on a daily basis who need health insurance for their children, Um, and, you know, I tell them, well, you need to select a doctor now that you have this coverage, and they go, this is the first time my child's ever had a doctor. I usually take them to the emergency room for any kind of ear infections or colds or when they're sick. Um, So I think we've tried, we've been trying at the state level anyway, and you know, maybe Rob can add something to that, but something needs to be done and there needs to be more effort put forth.
0: Yeah. I want to hear Rob's answer, but I want to go back. I want to sort of ask, back up a step and and say, you know, it's, it's sort of surprising to me to learn, I guess, that people call the city of Bloomington, call you daily to ask about health care. I mean, that just, I guess I never would have considered that. So you get, how many calls would you get in a typical day that I mean, there probably isn't a typical day.
3: Right, right. Oh, at least a couple. Mm -hmm. Um, Because um, when I first came to the city, that was um, mainly what I did was try to get the word out about children's health and health insurance. And... um, we got, I was able to get more agencies um, and places to be enrollment centers. And also, um, if you go to the state website, you can find out in each county where you can enroll and who that contact person is. Okay. Um, in fact, yesterday I had a, a graduate student come in who needed some health insurance for their little girl. And I always like to find out how they find out about the program. And he said, well, I just Googled Hoosier HealthWise. And he said, your name popped up. (laughs) Uh Okay.
2: You know, one of the myths about the uninsured, which ties in with this, is that the uninsured are somehow people who are lazy or deserve deserve the worst. And uh, the fact is that 25% 25% of the uninsured are children, about 8 million mm-hmm. in the United States. So despite programs like the CHIP programs that Nancy's alluded to, that are statewide efforts to expand Medicaid, many, many 8 million children in the, in the nation are uninsured. And, and 50, a full 50% of the uninsured have jobs. And that's a, another thing mm-hmm. people don't really understand. But 50% of the uninsured have jobs. Some of them have Two jobs, mm-hmm. uh, but either jo- they have jobs that don't offer insurance, or they uh, there is insurance offered, but the premiums are their share of the premiums is simply is simply too high. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary Catherine talked about you know where are the people on this and where are the politicians on this, and part of the unfortunate legacy of the Clinton health plan back in the early 90s was that a lot of politicians got scared away from health care as an issue, but people more and more are recognizing this. And actually, the, the, uh, the Pew Trusts, which are, again, a pretty reputable um, uh, organization, they published a study um, last year where they found that 65 percent of the population uh, not only favored universal health insurance, but actually favored that it be a government-sponsored program like Medicare to cover everybody. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the people are starting to understand this. Uh, Another uh, study another poll published by the Commonwealth Fund, again, a fairly conservative, moderate organization uh, found similar numbers of people in favor of universal national health insurance and they broke it down by party and uh, Not too surprisingly, Democrats were a little more likely than Republicans to favor this, but in their study fifty five percent of Republicans favored. National health insurance uh, administered by the government.
1: Does the AMA, the American Medical Association, come down on against a national plan?
2: The AMA is very much against a national plan. And unfortunately, this has been their history for a long time. You know, the only time that a sitting president advocated that we have national health insurance was uh, Harry Truman in 1949, after his uh, come-from-behind victory against Dewey, he thought that he would institute the last piece of the New Deal, Uh as he saw it, because uh, Franklin Roosevelt had talked a little bit about including health insurance, but had never really pushed it. And so Truman came to bat for national health insurance, the only time a sitting president's ever done that. The AMA went tooth and nail against this. Now, we're talking 1949 at this point, and I, I've got this great quote. I've got to read you from an AMA pamphlet from 1949. Uh, this, this was something—this this, is—I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> uh, here's, the, here's the AMA pamphlet, 1949. Would socialized medicine lead to socialization of other phases of life? Lenin thought so. He declared socialized medicine as the keystone to the arch of the socialist state. (laughs) Now, those days uh, are over, but they're not completely over. Mm -hmm. The big difference is that today the American Medical Association is not the powerful organization it was in 1949. Uh, Interestingly, the student American Medical Association is a strong advocate
0: of national health insurance.
1: That is interesting.
0: Okay. We're going to have to take a break. No! Uh, yes, we're, we're going to take a break. <laughs> it's too much fun. And then, and then we have – I'm going to ask our callers, Joe and Sue, to be patient. We have two callers on the phone, and then we'll get back to Barry Catherine. Jeez. <laughs> but we're going to take a break. You're listening to Noon Edition. We're talking about health care issues today. We'll be right back.
6: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. This afternoon in Greencastle at 4.15 on the DePauw campus, Brian Wilson from Fox News talks about the things about journalism they don't teach you in college. In Columbus, the Columbus, Indiana, Children's Choir celebrates their 10th anniversary with a concert at 6 o'clock at First Christian Church. Their guests will be the Indianapolis Youth Chorale. Tonight in the buskirk Chumley Theater, the IU Opera Series presents Conrad Sousa's Opera Transformations—it's an adult retelling of the Brothers Grimm's tales—in a performance at eight o'clock, dedicated to the memory of Robert Samuels. In Terre Haute, it's West Side Story at the Community Theater of Terre Haute, with a performance tonight at eight, Saturday at eight, and Sunday at two thirty. More about all of these on our website at wfiu.Indiana.edu.
0: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. We're talking about health care issues uh, today, both nationally and uh, locally. We have with us Rob Stone, an emergency room physician who's from Bloomington and he also is medical director of the Community Health Access Program Clinic, and Nancy Woolery, who's the health projects coordinator for the Community and Family Resources Department of the City of Bloomington. If you have questions or comments, phone us at 855 0811 or 877 285 9348, or you can send your email. To noon at Indiana.edu. We've got a list of questioners. Mary Catherine's number three <laughs> on the list. But Joe, but Joe is number one. Joe, go ahead.
4: Yeah, hi. Um, my, um, I have two thoughts. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, insurance is great, and we need it, and we don't have enough of it but uh... in addition to insurance you want to use it responsibly if you have it or if you're going to have it in the future and that i think really means personal advocacy has to be the first step and looking at a medical condition uh whether it's for a child or an adult uh not simply running to an emergency room fortunately uh, uh today we have stuff on the web like webmd and other resources um, uh to back up things like uh, also medline which is a little more complicated but with uh, webmd i mean they can take uh any parent who has a concern about a child uh, step by step through symptoms and stuff like that that may save her a trip to the emergency room and uh uh where she doesn't really uh, need to go and the child can simply get better i'm thinking a lot of ear infections supposedly uh, have to run their course you don't want to use antibiotics and stuff like that uh the second point uh is cost effectiveness uh, that's the key uh for uh, getting health insurance uh, that's um, uh, going to be uh, workable in this country. Uh, we have to think outside the box on that. And by that, I mean cost effectiveness is not only um, uh, uh, preventing the uh, consumer from being price gouged, it's also making sure uh, that practitioners, whether they be uh, physicians, or administrators or whoever in the medical health field uh, uh, make uh, have a chance and incentives uh, to uh, uh, to get paid reasonably, uh, I think if we think outside the box and look at those two factors together, meeting the needs of the, uh, of the consumer of health insurance but also the needs of the healthcare care provider, uh, maybe we can come up with uh, uh, some solutions sort of like what they 're doing in Massachusetts now. And and that's my comment. I'll hang up and listen to your uh, reply.
0: All right, Joe. Thanks. Joe had a lot of different uh, things to say. Rob, I definitely want to start with a physician's eye view of, of WebMD.
2: I think the Internet has become a much more useful tool for people. And I'm continually surprised at how many people come to the emergency department and say, I've got all the symptoms of <laughs> – it's usually something terrible like <laughs> meningitis. Uh-huh. And, uh, and usually uh, they've also got all the symptoms of uh, a simple virus that really they didn't need to come to the emergency room for. And so in my experience uh, – the the internet probably causes at least as many uh, emergency room visits as it prevents and yet I completely agree with what Joe said that an important thing is that people need to be uh, take their own health care into their own hands and take care of themselves I'm all
0: for that Mm -hmm. okay Nancy any
3: well I have to admit that I use WebMD and have diagnosed myself once or twice but um, You know, there is a lot of information out there. There's um, books that you can buy, self-care books. Um, It's really difficult when you have children because, um, you know, if they do have an ear infection, you're not sure. And, you know, you don't know whether to take them or whether not to take them. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I agree that there is some good information out there. And, um, you know, you just need to. Just kind of take care of yourself.
0: Now, you were you were mentioning before, and then I'm going to go back to the phones because we have lots of callers, um, that a lot of the pe- people that you talk to and come to see you are uh, employed.
3: Yes. So, yeah. um, I would say probably 80% of the people that I sign up, their children for the program are employed. Um, some of them are graduate students, um, but a lot of them are working maybe one, two jobs, to support their families. And the problem is that either their employer Im, excuse me, employer doesn't provide health insurance coverage, or it is so expensive that they cannot afford to put the whole family on there. Um, so at least um, they can get the children covered.
0: Yeah, we may have a business person or so call in too, because I know that you know the other side of the coin is that health insurance for, for businesses to provide is getting much more expensive so mm-hmm. you know I know from personal experience again that you know my share of what I'm paying for my health insurance is going up and up and up because my employer share is going up and up and up too so uh, Mary Catherine, the good news for the show is we have lots of callers and lots of email <laughs> bad news for you is you're now six number six on the list yes
1: but I'm not going away
0: <laughs> all right let's go back the phone sue go ahead sue
1: hi yes uh, one of your panelists alluded to the rx program for seniors
7: And I see all the commercials about the Rx program for seniors, and I've asked my pharmacist, and they don't have my answer. I'm hoping you do. Uh, I am blind, and I'm on Medicare. I'm nowhere near 65. Do I sign up for this program? Am I eligible? Even though I'm not a senior, but I am on Medicare.
3: Um, Some people do qualify for the program, even though they are um, not 65 years old, if they are on some sort of disability. Uh Uh-huh. Um you, I know, I know several younger people that have signed up because they are considered disabled and they do qualify for Medicare.
0: Nancy if uh Sue called you at your office would you be able to sort of walk her through this and sure, for sure? Sure. Okay. Definitely. And your office number is Our
3: office number is 349-3430 and we'd be um, more than happy to walk you through this.
7: Okay, thank you. Mhm.
0: Uh-huh. That's Nancy Wallery with the City of Bloomington. All right, back to the phones and Chris. Chris?
7: Hi. <laughs> Hi. Are you there?
0: Yeah, sure. Go ahead.
7: Great. Um, well, the first thing I want to say is it's wonderful to hear Rob Stone on the radio again. <laughs> because he's a very I know Rob. He's a very articulate advocate for healthcare. Um, I'm a pediatrician who actually sees fairly specifically uninsured and underinsured as well as Medicaid um, kids. And I work for a federally qualified um, community health center in Johnson County to do that even though I live in Monroe County. And, um, you know, I wanted to back up the other caller as well. The vast majority of kids I see, their parents are employed, um, usually fully employed, even one or two jobs at a time, and they, they can't get health insurance for these kids. Or they get health insurance, but it doesn't cover any well child care at all. So, I mean, the system, I've been doing indigent care for almost 20 years, and the system doesn't have problems. The system is completely and totally broken. Mm-hmm. You know, if you live in a country as rich as ours and it doesn't even cover your well baby checks starting when they're a newborn, there's something seriously wrong. The irony is I'll always have a job unless we get it fixed. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it, sometimes the answer is community health centers, but the government has just cut funding for that as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, your, so. friend, your friend Rob wants to respond. <laughs>
7: <laughs> Hi, Rob.
2: Hi, Dr. Holmes. I appreciate your call. Uh, you know, there a, a, a speaker whom I heard speak last winter said, we don't have any more a health care system. What we have is a non-system of illness care.
7: I think that's quite true. Mm-hmm. Quite true. I mean, you get to see a lot of pathology in my job because people wait so long to bring their kids in. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, at least we can vaccinate them now. But, yeah, it needs to be completely and totally overhauled. I, I personally support national health care. I've got experience with the Canadian as well as the British system, and it's not perfect. But it's a lot better than ours, actually. Mm-hmm. At least you really get what you need. And, um, the, the statistics on how much bankruptcy is caused by health care costs is astonishing. Um, I, I know an awful lot of people that think that if their kids are on Medicaid or their kids are uninsured, it's because the parents are slackers. And Mm -hmm. and as someone who's also worked as a volunteer physician, really the opposite is true. These are usually extremely hardworking people um, who can't get health care.
3: Well, and also um, people that own their own business. They're Mm self-employed. And try Mm -hmm. to find insurance on your own. They might be able to find a policy um, for catastrophic care, but they can't take their kids for well child care.
7: Well, and I do recommend that they get catastrophic care. I mean, I talk to people about their health insurance issues all the time, every, every day I'm at work. And I do tell them that even though they have, they're uninsured, I do say, you know, you might want to consider, if you're in a car accident, what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. Um, at least you have an insurance company that's going to bargain down your bill. But, right. mm-hmm. um And I have, I have relatives that don't have health care, don't have health insurance. Very scary, mm-hmm. you
0: know. Chris, there's a lot, a lot of head nodding going on in the room. So. <laughs>
7: yeah, I get on this soapbox a lot. That's
0: all right. I want to want to thank you for your call. And uh, Chris was a guest on the show, not well, a couple years ago. Yeah. On a totally different topic. <laughs> all right, we've got uh, a couple more phone calls, and the emails are stacking up. So let's go to Bob on the phone, Bob. Hello, yeah. Bob. Hi. Yeah. Go ahead.
8: Uh, I have uh, a couple of well. A couple a question and a comment, I guess. Uh, the question is, um, that Time magazine just recently had an article on um, health care in hospitals, and um, it was it, it it produced a lot of horror stories, and I don't know if any of you have read that uh, and would like to comment on that. The other thing is that when I was teaching in Finland, I had troubles with my heart, uh, had high blood pressure, and had fibromyalgia. Fib- um uh, and I um, went to a doctor, and he sent me immediately to an ambulance to the um, uh, cardiac intensive care ward in the hospital. There, I was hooked up to machines for about five days. Um, did all kinds of tests, had shock treatment, and everything uh, to get the heart um, moving in the right direction or beating uh, in the right way. And when I came out, and well, and then I had some follow-up treatments. When I came out, the bill was five hundred dollars. Um, and they asked me if I could pay for it, um, and uh, <laughs> uh, otherwise they they would have have absorbed the bill. Um, and I said I I could because I had purchased some in in insurance in Finland, not knowing what a foreign. Foreigner could um, could uh, really do on the national health service, but I was amazed at the wonderful care I had, the uh, high technical expertise that the, that the doctor, the the head of the unit, came down every day to check on me and showed me diagrams of the heart and everything, and talked with me, and um, the nurses and the other doctors were fine, and I was I was really impressed, and it was only five hundred dollars.
0: Okay, yeah, that's uh you're not gonna get that here. <laughs> okay. We're uh we, we have uh, more phone calls. Uh Leland next. Leland?
9: Yes, that's right. Yeah, go ahead. Um well I actually wanted to to comment on and ask about something that y'all had brought up earlier and excuse me if my voice sounds funny, I actually have acute tonsillitis at the moment. So um and have for the first time in my adult life just become insured so I suppose that's kind of handy so I kind of, uh, <laughs>
1: that's probably got I kind sick. of
9: respect um, <laughs> what everyone's been saying though quite frankly I fall on the complete opposite side of the issue I don't believe in nationalized health care in the least despite the experiences of my family um, philosophically I just hate it but that's not what I'm calling about my my comment actually is y'all were mentioning earlier how um, in most of the industrialized world life expectancies are higher, things are better, people live longer and feel better. But could that be because when you walk in the cardiac ward of a hospital in France rather than in California or Texas or New York, people aren't the size of Buicks? You know, <laughs> I mean, people are so fat in America. And I, I have, I've almost been willing to say for years now, that in the united states of america we all choose how we die because we smoke way too much drink way too much and are so unremittingly overweight in this nation that i'm almost willing to say that it's really our own choosing that we die at such high levels at such young ages from things so preventative what what would you all say about that
2: i, I can take a shot at that one because uh, you've touched on another one of the myths about healthcare in this country and in Europe. Interestingly enough, though, if many of those who uh, out there will, will nod when they hear me talk about smoking in Europe. If you've ever been to Europe, you realize people in Europe smoke a huge amount more than people in the United <laughs> States. Smoking is one of the most prevent, you know, one of the most. Uh, important things you can do to prevent medical problems, but people in Europe smoke way more than we do. They drink way more than we do. And interestingly enough, there are a couple of European countries, including Germany, who are heavier than we are. And so we can't just blame it on our lifestyle choices.
0: They don't help, but...
2: But but, And those lifestyle choices are poor choices and they do cause us to die younger. But uh, that's not why the Europeans can spend half what we do on healthcare and still cover everybody.
0: All right. Thanks for the call. We're gonna to have to move on. So we've got uh, Lisa next. Lisa, yes. Go ahead.
7: I wanted to offer some additional information uh, regarding the caller who inquired about RX for Indiana. Uh huh. Go ahead. Um, they have a very nice uh, website, it's www.rxforindiana.org. But even uh, nicer is you can call a toll free number and they'll take your application over the phone. It's one eight seven 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 nine three zero seven six five and the other thing i wanted to mention is you do not need to be disabled to utilize this this is for any low income uninsured hoosiers
0: okay
1: and that's what i had to offer all right lisa thank you
0: thanks a lot for the call uh we've got a couple more phone calls but let's go to an email
1: Okay, Uh, this one is from Kirk White, who is the Director of Community Relations for Indiana University. He says, uh, the State of Indiana Family and Social Services Secretary, Mitch, and I don't know if it's Rube or Rob. Rob. Thank you, I appreciate that. Is holding a series of 13 public meetings across the state on the topic of uninsured Hoosiers. IU will host the Bloomington meeting Wednesday, May 10th. From 4 in the afternoon until 6 in the evening at the School of Optometry, 800 East Atwater Avenue, room 105, the public is invited. Parking will be available at the Atwater garage, and he goes on to say that they'll offer vouchers for that. Um, Secretary Rob noted FSSA has been approached by legislators and community leaders to begin a public discussion about the state Uh, about the issue of health care affordability and quality, particularly for low-income and uninsured Hoosiers. Our research shows that an increasing number of Hoosiers are without health insurance for a variety of reasons. We also know that in 2005, each Indiana family with health insurance paid an additional additional $953 in premiums to help cover the costs that providers incur serving the uninsured. Because this issue has broad impacts on the economic and social well-being of our state, we are eager to engage in this discussion. Innovative approaches are being pursued in many other states, and we want to learn what people throughout Indiana see as the best approach for us. So thank you, Kirk, for sending us, and I'll repeat the date. It's Wednesday, May 10th, from 4 to 6 at the School of Optometry. And I'm sure if you want to contact uh, uh, alumni... the alumni office, they would be able to Mm -hmm. reiterate that information.
0: We're going to get back to the phones here in a minute, but I want to give Nancy the opportunity to talk about any other programs that you know of that are coming up during national uh, Cover the Uninsured week um, or anything else from your office in a a minute or two?
3: Well, um, actually, I think Rob's done a pretty good job of organizing some programs. If you get on the website, um, www.covertheuninsured.org, you can click on your state, and then it will tell you what's going on in the community. Um, there's going to be a forum on May 3rd from 7 to 9 at Wegmiller Auditorium that um, Rob is going to, I that's, guess you're going to facilitate that. That's in Bloomington Hospital. In Bloomington, Bloomington Hospital. Hospital. Mm-hmm. And then there's also some health fairs going on um, through the CHAP clinic.
0: And what services will be available at those health fairs?
2: Uh, my other role is as the medical director of the of the Chap Community Health Access Program clinic and uh, we'll be doing a number of different things throughout the month of May and hopefully ongoing beyond that um, in during cover the uninsured week it's uh, it's going to start with uh, skin cancer screenings at the Chap clinic and uh, as we go on beyond that we're going to be uh, partnering with prompt care and sending out what's called the Health Mobile to do outreach at the Shalom Center and at Backstreet Mission. And we're hoping those will be ongoing things. We did those last year for Cover the Uninsured Week and we wanna do that again. And then um, there is gonna be this big forum. Uh, It's gonna be open to the public at the hospital on uh, Wednesday, May 3rd. Uh, As Nancy said, I'll be speaking And also, Dr. Ed Marshall from the School of Optometry will be speaking. And actually, the moderator of that will be Mark Moore, who is the Mm -hmm. hospital CEO. And also, as part of the Cover the Uninsured Week, although it's slightly off the topic of uninsured, we're going to be uh, showing a movie about the pharmaceutical industry and we could spend a whole mm-hmm. a whole session on the yeah. pharmaceutical industry. But there will be – actually, it will be the world premiere of a movie called Big Bucks, Big Pharma, Marketing Disease, and Pushing Drugs at Wegmiller Auditorium at 7 p.m. on Monday, May 1st. And the film's um, producer, Renit Ridberg, is going to be here in Bloomington to lead discussion afterwards. So that will be
0: interesting. Okay. Uh, we have uh – Several more phone calls. So we've got about five minutes to go. If you could uh, try to hold your question to a a fairly short one, that would be helpful. Uh, First questioner is Bill.
10: Hi. Hi, Bill. Um, One of the things I think we've forgotten is a whole basic idea behind insurance. Uh, If we go back to the late 40s, insurance was a community-based, health insurance was community-based, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Companies never paid for insurance. They started paying for insurance when they had restrictions on uh, raising wages to uh, their employees and started offering this as a perk. Then the other thing is the whole basic idea of insurance is that you don't expect to pay less than you get out of it. On a, on a whole, every, we have to pay more on average than we get out of it because what we're trying to do is pay a little bit up front to cover the catastrophic things that we don't know when they're going to occur to us, whether it be health insurance, auto insurance, what have you. Uh, and we seem to have lost that. We seem to have lost the idea that. We are subsidizing other people, and that's the whole basis of insurance. Uh, and I don't know if there's any way to turn that around in this country. That still exists in other countries, but it doesn't seem to exist here.
0: Excellent. Excellent points, mm-hmm. Bill. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Let's uh, go back to the phone. Maxine, go ahead.
7: Yes, I was referring back to uh, the person that called about being legally blind and whether they were uh, eligible for Medicare or not.
8: Mm-hmm.
7: and. um Having been that myself at a young age, I know that is true, and also that anyone with any disability, whether it's uh, uh, blindness or whether it's physical or mental, if it keeps them from having a gainful job, Um, they just check with Social Security, and at any age you can apply for disability uh,
0: Medicare. All right, Maxine. Thanks for that information. And we're going to Charles next. Charles?
10: Yes. um, Two things. One, I just want to comment, I lived in uh, the UK for three years. I lived in Belgium for four years. The systems there work well. People are very well cared for, and it costs significantly less than they do here. Uh, Second thing I want to ask, is there any new books? I've read, uh, you know, Reading the Patient and some other things about um, uh, is there something up to date that one might read? Also, the third thing is, uh, is, is there any group here that's working together to try to pursue um, universal health care uh, here?
0: All right, Charles.
2: Rob? Well, I, uh, it's Rob Stone again. I can answer your last two questions with one with the same answer. There is a group, uh, uh, an Indiana group called Hoosiers for a Common Sense Health Plan, and they have a website hchp.info. I-n-f-o. And uh, this is a group that I helped to start, and it's the group that's sponsoring, co-sponsoring some of the events that are going on next week. And at our website, you can find a reading list that includes uh, the book you mentioned, Bleeding the Patient, but also some newer ones, and there's other uh, links to more uh, recent up-to-date information there.
0: Okay. Uh, Mary Catherine, we have about two minutes to go, so back to you.
1: Okay. Uh, This begins, I heard Mary Catherine say that there is a lack of will to correct our health care deficiencies in this country. I think the problem is that those who have very good health care, which includes legislators, also have a great deal of power and oppose change, giving a tinge of socialism to any solution that would involve the government. How can this attitude be countered?
2: Well, I can answer that fairly quickly. You know, there is uh, something called socialized medicine, and that is uh, the system that they have in England, where doctors and nurses are employees of the government, and it has its drawbacks. But there is also something called social insurance, and that's what Medicare is. Medicare is not socialized medicine. Uh, The government, however, runs the, uh, the insurance part of it. And then patients have free choice of doctors and hospitals, and doctors simply send a Bill to the government after they've seen the patient. And so that's really what we need to understand is that uh, if we expand Medicare to cover everyone in this country, I admit it's a radical idea, although it's, so, it's been done everywhere else in the world. It's not socialized medicine. It's simply universal social insurance.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And in the, we're back to you for a question in the last uh, 30 seconds. Oh, for really. no. I completely <laughs>
1: lost my train of thought.
0: Okay. Well, uh, in in the few seconds that we have left, um, why don't we mention again the programs? And, uh, and Nancy, you can give your phone number again so if people have follow-up questions, they can get in touch with you.
3: Sure. Um, our number at the City of Bloomington Community and Family Resources Department is 349 3430 Um, I'd be happy to talk to anybody about the Medicare Rx program or if you need to uh, sign up your children for the Hoosier HealthWise program.
0: Okay. And Wednesday night's? uh... Wednesday
2: night's forum is at the hospital's Miller Auditorium, uh, 601 West 2nd Street, and that will be at 7 p.m.
0: Okay. I want to thank Rob Stone and Nancy Woolery for being with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ryan Cost, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.
6: Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald-Times.